thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like, and then a parable, a story ripe with symbolism, flows out in answer. He was the best storyteller of all time, not for his technique or delivery, but because his stories cut right to the heart of everything. He illustrated and illuminated truth with a story about ordinary objects, everyday people, and familiar places. The parables of Jesus reveal the kingdom of God. They reveal what he's like. That's our worthy quest during the summer of parables. Well, good morning, everybody. Again, good to see you. It's such a... um, a wonderful time. We're continuing with our uh, summer of parables, looking at the parables of Jesus and how he taught and the tremendous significance and truth that comes in the words of Jesus. But before we get into that, I just want to take a moment. I want to thank you, all of you, because of you. Um, last week was our Convoy of Hope offering, our one day to feed the world. And uh, you guys are incredible. Do you know that? You don't even know the number yet. Hang on. You gave over $100,000 last weekend. Now that's worth clapping about. That's awesome. And it's such a privilege. And, And God is using that money to feed the poor, to plant churches, to be a light in the midst of darkness, and to represent Jesus around the world. And I'm, I, I'm just blown away. So you guys are awesome, and you rock, you're rocking it, and so let's keep doing it. It's incredible. So we're in uh, Luke chapter 8. As you're turning to that, we just, uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jason King. I have the great privilege of being um, the senior associate pastor here. For those of you who don't know, um, pastor George is our senior pastor. We're in a transition that's happening this year, and I'll become the senior pastor next year. But we are uh, we're transitioning this year, and the reason why I tell you that I I was my wife and I just came from the from the shore with Pastor George and and his family and spent some time on vacation with them. And you know, if you can go on vacation together, you must have a good relationship. And uh, so we've had a great time together. It's been a real privilege to be with them and to, uh, to hang out with them. And so he sends his love to you this morning. So everyone, Luke chapter 8. If you have it, say, I have it. All right, I'll wait for you. Got it? Okay, let's try it again. If you, if you have it, say, I have it. All right, good, good. You can, there's a Bible right in front of you you can pull out. We're going to read one of, this, one of these parables. And this one is called, in your Bible, it probably says the parable of the sower. Now, you may think, this sounds really familiar. Well, it is familiar because Pastor George taught on this several weeks ago. And he taught on the one aspect of it, which is the hearer. And I'm not going to be talking about the hearer. I actually set out to, to talk about one of, the, one of the characters in this parable called the sower. But as I got into it, God kind of leaned my heart towards something else. And I'm going to be sharing with you this morning. And I'm going to be talking about the seed in which we're going to read in just a moment. And I believe God wants to speak to us in a tremendous way. I believe God wants to, to, to use this to transform our lives. And so I guess today... As we get into this message, if I was a blogger, and I'm not, but if I was, I admire those who, who do that. I'm so impressed by that. I'm not a blogger, but if I, if I am, or if I was, this would kind of be my thoughts. 
things that God had been speaking to me in this particular area when I was studying this and other things he was speaking to me before I was studying this over the last couple weeks. And so I'm going to share with you some of my heart and my thoughts about this today. But let's begin Luke chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 1 through 8 and then we're going to skip to 11 and read 11 through 15. But let's start here. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news. Everyone say, good news of the kingdom of God. The 12 were with him and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. So Jesus was walking around. He was doing his thing. He was expanding the kingdom. He was empowering people. He was setting people free. He was delivering people. Just so you know, that's the, that is the ministry of Jesus Christ. It's all of those things. He sets you free to live the life that he has for you. That's good news. Sorry, I got carried away on that point. Okay, and Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had come out. And it goes on. Joanna, the, the wife of, sorry, Chusa, I, I read something different and it messed with my mind. The wife of Chusa, the manager of Herod's household, Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. While a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. And then he begins to tell a parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Everyone say seed. As he was scattering the seed, say seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up, and it choked the plants. Still, another seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Move on to verse 11. This is the meaning of the parable. For Jesus begins to explain this parable, the story. What, what was he actually talking about? He said this, the seed, say the seed, is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it. But they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures. And they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, who retain it, and by preserving, produce, persevering, excuse me, produce a crop. And I want to share with you some things that God has, I believe, revealed to me out of this passage. As I said, these are, these are some things that God's been speaking to me. He's been dealing with errors of my own heart, of my own mind, things that I'm walking through and even struggling through. And he's making something fresh and new, particularly out of this passage. And I'll tell you what that is in just a moment. But you know, everything... When Jesus is talking about the seed, it's important to understand that everything comes from the seed. I don't know if you've ever thought much about the seed. I don't know if you've ever thought about what it, the seed, well, he said it was the word of God. It seems pretty simple. But I don't know if you've ever really thought about the seed. I hadn't. And as I was looking into this, God began to reveal some things to me. You know, the fruit grows from the character of the seed. If you plant a, a tomato seed, you're going to get a tomato plant. You're not going to plant a tomato seed and get a cucumber. It's just not going to happen. 
Because what comes out of the seed comes from the character of the seed. And without the seed, you have no plant. You have no fruit. Nothing without the seed. So what does it mean for us? What does all of this mean for you and me? Why, we, why do we even look at the Scripture? What's the point of reading them and applying them to our lives? It's because God has something He wants to speak to all of us today out of His Word and out of His truth. And so I want to begin by asking this question, what is the seed that Jesus is talking about? I know he says this in 8.11, he says this, the seed is the word of God. And when you first read it, you think, well, that's real simple. Why, why, why are we still talking about this, Jason? I don't understand. But when we talk about the word of God, the question is, what was he talking about? Because at the time, he was talking to these people, and he said, the seed is the word of God. Now, to understand at the time that, and, that, and what... Um, Practicing Jews look at today are a what's called the Pentateuch or the, or the Torah, which is the five, the first five books of the Bible, which is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so when Jesus said the seed is the word of God, that's what he was talking about. And so before we go any further, I, I want you to remember this. When Jesus is telling a parable, he's revealing himself. Remember I talked about self a few weeks ago. He's much like Alfred Hitchcock in a lot of his movies. Somewhere along the way, if you watched the movie, you'd see a face of Alfred Hitchcock. He would always put himself in there, I guess because he loved himself so much. But Alfred Hitchcock did that. Stan Lee does the same thing in, in Marvel movies. Somehow Stan Lee's going to make an appearance in some of his movies. Every parable Jesus told, he was revealing something to bound himself to the people he was telling it to. And because we're reading it today, he's also revealing something about himself to you and me today that will help us in our lives. I like to ask these questions like, what does this mean to me? How does this change me? I like to slow down a little bit because it allows me to actually allow God to speak something from his word to me that maybe I'd never seen before. And my prayer is it will be the same for you. So what did Jesus mean by the seed is the word of God? On another occasion, actually, Jesus was talking to some of the, the leaders of Judaism. And he was, he was, they always gathered around him because Jesus was he, was, he was a bit of a rebel. He said things that no one else had ever heard before. He said that he spoke and he preached with such an authority that when he said it, people knew, man, this must be true. And one time Jesus was standing around these religious leaders who are reading the word of God. They are reading the first five books of the Bible. And he said this in, in John 5, 39, he said this, You study the scriptures, the word of God, diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. So you're reading the first five books. You're reading the Pentateuch. You're reading the Torah. And in them you think they possess eternal life. But listen to what Jesus says. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. I don't know if you've ever seen that before. He says, you're looking at the scriptures. You're trying to find eternal life in these words. But these, there is no eternal life in these words because these words point to me. They're talking about me. Also, John 1 verse 14 writes this. He says, the word. Now remember, Jesus said the seed is the word of God. John 1.14 says this, the word became flesh. Everyone say the word. 
the word became flesh and made his, look at that, made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, speaking of Jesus, who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. Here John is talking about Jesus being the word. Again, John's context is the same. It's the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. So when Jesus says in this parable, the seed is the word of God, John says in this passage that the word became flesh and his, and he is dwelling among us, the glory of the one and only son, speaking of Jesus. And then when Jesus is talking to the religious leaders, and he's saying, you're looking at scripture to find eternal life, and, the, and those words, those scriptures are talking about me. So when Jesus says this, the seed is the word of God, what is he saying the seed is? Him. He's saying it's me. The seed is me. And so Jesus has this understanding because he knows what the word is. He knows that the word's pointing everyone to Jesus. It's revealing who he is, his power, his love, his truth. That he's here, here's, here's the, he's pulling the curtains back right here in this parable. And he's saying, the word of God is me. And then he goes on to talk about what happens when the word of God is sown. When the message of Jesus is sown in the different people's lives and how they respond to that. So the words in this book of the Bible that we have, so important for us to understand, they point to Jesus. They just don't point to Jesus. They also point to our need of him, our desperation without him. He is the key to unlocking the Bible. Jesus is the theme of the Bible. Jesus was the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth, meaning the writings of this book was for one purpose and one purpose only, and that is to point us to who? Come on, say it like you mean it. The point is to who? Jesus. And the message of Jesus is called what we call today the gospel. All of the word of God is pointing to one man. It's pointing to Jesus. So when we hear different doctrine and different theologies that don't point to Jesus, let me tell you this, they're wrong. Every doctrine, every theology points to the Son of God. It points to Jesus. The Word of God points to a faithful Father who sent His Son, Jesus. And so that's what we need to understand today. That this message of Jesus, the seed, the Word of God, is the gospel. It's the gospel, the message of Jesus, and the message of Jesus is the Word of God. And as I was studying this, I began to apply some of these things in my own life. And what does this have to do with me? And I began to realize that through my journey of following the Lord, I, I had, I had, the gospel had become familiar to me. The gospel had become something I knew, I heard of. Yeah, Jesus died on a cross, raising from the dead. Yes, that's why I live today. But actually, it's so much more than that. 
And sometimes when you become too familiar with the gospel, too familiar with Jesus, it's much like you, your, your, your spouse, you're married to your spouse, and you go to dinner with them, and you sit there, you eat, you don't even realize, and you, you sit in a movie, you watch it, and you don't ever realize, I'm sitting with the most amazing person on the planet. One, because they actually chose to marry me. But you forget on why you married them. You forget how incredible it is to be around them. Because why? You have become familiar with them. And God began to challenge my heart where I had allowed the gospel to become familiar to me. And this whole message of Jesus from Genesis to Revelation, from this book that we hold and we call the Holy Scriptures, this love letter from God to us, is this red cord that weaves its way from every book of the Bible, every page. And as you run it all through the Bible, it cinches everything together. It helps us to know and reminds us that we've rejected God. We've fallen short. But because of God's love for us, he begins preparing mankind to see their sin. And that's what you begin to see in the, in the first books of the Bible. He allows the people to see the rebellion. He allows them to live the life that they thought they wanted to live, which turned out disastrous. If I was asked the question today, hey, how many of you, if, when you lived your life however the heck you wanted to live it, tell me, did that work out really well for you? It was disastrous. And this, this book we have begins to show people what the standard is and what they're not living up to and the gap and the pain and the disastrous life that they're choosing. He allows them to see their disastrous life. And then he begins pointing them to the one who would restore their relationship back to himself. He points them to the one who would forgive our rebellion, who would forgive our sin, who would take the penalty we deserve upon himself as we put our trust in him. The one God, the one true God, is pointing us to the one person in Scripture, Jesus you think, Jason, we already know this. We already know the gospel. We, we already understand this. But I really want, I'm telling you, I really want all of us, that's my prayer today, to have a fresh understanding about the gospel. The seed of Jesus is the only thing that can bring transformation in our lives. It's the only thing that can change you, that can transform you, that can transform our community. And it's what we call the gospel. So I want to share with you just three simple understandings of the gospel, of the seed. The first one is this. The gospel is essential. It is essential. The gospel is what pulls all of this together. It's the key that actually unlocks not just the Bible, but it unlocks our hearts. It unlocks the will of God for our lives. It helps us see that you can't live life without him. It reveals the purposes of God and the love of God. It helps you and I know that when we wake up in the morning, it's actually not about our performance. It's about his performance on behalf of us. 
The gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ helps us, helps our families not be ruled by an iron fist in law, but it allows our families to be ruled by grace and kindness and love because it is what Jesus shown me, and in return I will show that to my family. It's what allows us to be a community, a church, that actually welcomes those who are broken. Because we realize, because the gospel constantly demonstrates all the time that you and me are broken also. You might say, Jason, I thought we're, you know, when you, you're, you come to church because you're perfect. You come to church because you have it all together. You can, if you wear the right clothes and you act the right way, hey, everything's going to be all right. Well, listen, I promise you this. This church is not for perfect people. Because I blew it the first moment I walked in the door. Because I'm not perfect. I'm broken. The message of the gospel is for imperfect, broken people walking the journey with Jesus Christ under the blood of Jesus, sanctified by him, demonstrating the gospel in us, through us, and to others. That's what it's about. So the gospel is essential. We are all searching. But the message of Jesus answers all of our questions the gospel, the seed, the good news of Jesus Christ. It was the common theme, actually, for Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. The gospel was the foundation of his faith. Let's say, and I'm going to get to some ideas about Paul, but let's just say the gospel, this message of Jesus, the seed that we're talking about, let's just say it's a master key. to Maybe to this building. It's not just the key to get in the front door, but with it, you're able to explore all the rooms that's available. You can go in anywhere you want. You can go in the kitchen and get you a, a donut, get 12 of them, shove them in your face, have a cup of coffee, and, and to the glory of God. Go ahead. You have the master key. Go for it. You can, do, you can go anywhere you want. It's not just to get in the front door. This is the master key. You wouldn't need the individual keys to the individual rooms because you possess the master key. But let's say once you went in the building, you walked to a door and you kept waiting on other keys. Maybe to get other keys, to try to find other keys. The other doors, and you kept trying. Maybe you have keys on, you kept trying other keys. And maybe you're looking for the newest revelation on the market. You're waiting for the book to come out so you know how to open the door. Or you're waiting for another person, another another pastor somewhere else, and the whole time you actually had the answer in your hand. The gospel. The gospel is the master key to the Christian life. It opens every door. It gives you access to everything that God has for you. You don't have to wait for the greatest revelation and the, and the latest goosebumps to get everything that God has for you. It is found in the master key, in the seed, which is the gospel. This is what God's revealing to me, that everything that I could ever want from him is available to me through understanding the gospel. This word gospel actually just didn't come on the scene like today or back in the early 1900s or during revival. It actually, the first mention of this word gospel appears in the New Testament. It appears 91 times. It appears through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It appears through the letters to the churches. It appears in Peter. It appears in Revelation. But Paul was the one that used it the most. He actually used it, I believe, 67 times. 
So how does Paul define the gospel? This is the man who understood the gospel. He was a murderer. He was, a, he was on a rampage. He was killing Christians. And he encountered the gospel, the message of Jesus. And this is how Paul talks about the gospel being essential. He was writing to a church that had just got established through the, the wonderful people in Corinth. And this is what he writes about the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15. For what I received, meaning the gospel, I passed on to you as of first importance. Everyone say first importance. This is essential. What's essential? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. This was a big deal. Paul could have written anything. Paul could have said anything. This was Paul, the super apostle, the, the one of the 12 apostles. He said of first importance, Christ died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried and he was raised. Again, even hearing that, you think, yeah, I've heard that before. But why was that so important? Why did he say of first importance? And it's almost as though he is telling that to us, the church, to you in your life today. This gospel of Jesus Christ is of first importance in your life. It just doesn't get you in the door. It is everything that you live, you breathe, you eat every day understanding the gospel. It's the seed and everything comes from that seed, which is the message of Jesus which is the gospel. Jesus is saying in this parable that we just read in Luke 8, he's saying this. He says, I have, I have what you need. He's saying that I've done the essentials and I've accomplished the essentials in everything in your life. And you cannot have anything else in life unless you have the essential. And if you have the seed, you're going to be able to be what I've called you to be. So he teaches us the essential gospel and how to live your life how to love your family, how to interact with me, how to see yourself. I mean, this is good news. This is such good news, this whole message of the gospel that God, through his perfect son, becomes a sacrifice for you and I to live a life that we don't deserve to live. It's foundational. Nothing else. Nothing else matters. And without the gospel, nothing else is possible. Man, I've been around people that they're saved. But man, they walk around with a really long nose looking down at those who haven't measured up. They're always judging. They're always being judge and jury. When people are around them, they feel like they have to be perfect because they're perfect too. The gospel obliterates people's theology like that. The gospel lets every individual on the face of the planet know you would be nothing without Jesus. When's the last time you took some time to think about what Jesus did for you? When's the last time you thought, you know, where would I be without Jesus? So Paul's saying of first importance, you need to remember this. Where would I be without Jesus? 
What would have happened? If you didn't have Jesus today, where would you, where would you live? What would your family look like? Where would you be sleeping this morning? With who would you be sleeping with? How disastrous would your life be? Again, let's not be familiar with the gospel. Let's make it fresh and new. And God began to ask me this, these questions over the last couple of weeks. Jason, where would you be without me? Not what I want from him. Not God, I need this and I need that. But Jason, have you spent some time to ask the question, have you stopped and considered what I've already done for you? And are you living out of that? The second thing about the seed that Jesus is talking about and about the gospel is this. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. Can we say that together this morning if you don't mind? The gospel is enough. The gospel, the seed is why I wake up in the morning. Actually, it's how I can even wake up in the morning. First, because it landed in my heart. Then it transformed me and it transforms me every day. And it reminds me every day that I need Jesus. But also because I believe God's called me to proclaim the gospel, to sow the seed, the good news of Jesus Christ. So it can transform other people's lives. Because it's the only seed that changes everything in a person's life. It can take the most selfish, the most tormented, the most hateful person on the planet. And it can change their lives forever. It can take a life controlled by sin, controlled by Satan. And because the gospel lands in their heart and they receive it, it makes them into a saint because of a savior. This is what the gospel is. This isn't just okay news. This is good, great news. Are we just familiar with it? I had become. And I've repented and I've asked God to make this fresh and new in me every day. When the gospel becomes familiar, you lose the joy. David prayed, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You lose the hope. When the gospel becomes familiar, compromise comes in your life. That which Jesus saved you from, you begin to open the doors for them to come back in. But this gospel is good news. William Tyndale, who was the writer of the, of the first English Bible, he wrote this in 1525. Evangelion, which is a Greek word, which is what we use the word the gospel for. He says it's a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, joyful news. That makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, makes him dance, makes him leap for joy. Does the gospel do that to you? Or is it familiar? The gospel, the sea, deals with sin, and it offers hope. It's the gospel that transforms people's lives, people's families, transforms cultures, transforms governments, transforms the world and nations. It's the power of God. 
But I'm also very aware that if you, you, listen, unless your head is in the sand, you can look around and see that the world's falling apart. Evil is, seems to be rampant. When you look at the nations, when you look at our communities, even if you were to look at our own lives in this room, we're confronted by so much pain, so much poverty, so many strongholds, disease, unanswered prayer, broken relationships, areas we're not seeing. Maybe our life prosper or our church prosper. Many people are struggling. And in the reality of this broken world, we can unknowingly lose confidence in the gospel. It becomes something we just do. It just becomes something we just hear. Though at times I don't see it. I don't see the gospel at times. I wonder what's going on. I am confronted by the reality of a fallen world. And I know, though, that this, and I want you to hear me this morning. I know that it is the gospel and the gospel alone that can bring change into your life, into other people's lives, and into the world. That's it. That's it. It is the gospel and the gospel alone that can reach into every heart and bring change and transformation. The gospel, it's so precious, it's so strong, it's so powerful. I don't ever want to lose sight of actually what it is because of what I see with my eyes. I don't ever want to lose sight of it. This gospel It's to be championed, it's to be preached, it's to be lived, it's to be accepted, it's to be walked out, it's to be loved out, it's to be demonstrated. My desire is for us as a church that the gospel will become why we do what we do. I heard this saying a long time ago and I adopted it in my own life. Church growth is not an option as long as hell is still a reality. And the only thing that can save someone, you and me, from hell is the gospel. This is a big deal. And this is great, incredible news. So no matter where you're at today, the gospel is more than enough for you. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're facing, the gospel is enough for you. And I have some concerns about the gospel. I do. I have concerns that maybe the gospel, the seed that Jesus is talking about, what he was, what he was trying to emphasize, have made the gospel into a social program. They've made the gospel into a political program. Now, not that these are wrong, but these are, these are things that flow out of the gospel. A changed community flows out of the gospel. Having a voice for the less fortunate flows out of the gospel. The church is able to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to care for the poor, to implement support groups, to to help those in addiction. We're able to do all of that as a consequence of the gospel, but it is not. They are not the gospel. This is why it's a powerful thing that all these things flow from it, but sometimes we get so focused on the fruit that we forget about the root. We forget about the seed. It's the gospel. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power. It's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So the gospel, he's not ashamed to proclaim the gospel to the Jew or to the Gentile, because it is that which brings salvation to everyone who believes. 
It's the gospel that transforms the world. It's the gospel that transforms your life. So when I hear stories, and I hear them all the time, of marriages being restored through our marriage and family ministry, Dr. Bob and Gail Bucknam are leading that with their team. It's amazing things. God's transforming lives. But when I hear marriages being restored, when I hear families thriving, when I hear teenagers who are, who are making commitments to give their life to Jesus forever and do whatever it takes to be a light for him, little kids who have been rescued from human trafficking, needy who have been fed and clothed, the social change in communities and villages and countries, I say it was the gospel that did that. The power of Jesus that flows from Jesus who died and rose again 2,000 years ago worked its way down from the disciples to the different churches to the different leaders of the church to the, to the, to the revivalists. And they made their way down. The message of the gospel made its way down to your life and to my life today. It made its way down to maybe a child in Southeast Asia who had been saved, who had been rescued. And brought transformation into a little boy, little girl's life. It was the gospel that did that. The restoration of Jesus Christ that did that. Why? Because the sin that caused all of those things. That's why it's important that we understand the gospel. You guys still with me this morning? All right. That's why it's important that we understand this, this truth of the gospel. That's what's important that God was, is revealing and continuing to reveal the power of the gospel in my life. Because of the sin that caused all these things to happen in the world. We see and we experience going wrong in our lives, going wrong in the world. The gospel, the good news of Jesus deals with that in the first place. This is so beautiful that somehow the seed of Jesus Christ, the message, the gospel of Jesus, he allowed us to receive his seed. He allowed us to hear his seed. He allowed the seed to be sown on our ground. And this is what helps me to keep my compass right of why I do what I do, what God has called me to do and God's called you to do. Because when I, when I wasn't looking for him, when you weren't looking for him, when you didn't want him, when you weren't interested in him, when you didn't want anything to do with Jesus or God or the Bible, he already made a way for you to come to him. When the gospel seed fell on your ground, it was powerful. It was beautiful. It was everything you've been waiting for. Before you had turned your face towards God, God had turned his face towards you. That Christ died while you were yet a sinner. You did nothing to get his love. Before you had a thought about God, God had a thought about you. So for those of you who, what's the gospel do for you? So for those of you who wake up in the morning and say, you know, God, I, I don't deserve your love. God, I, I, I did this and I messed up. And he said, well, that never stopped me before. I love you. I chose you. I gave my life for you. For those of you who struggle with condemnation, the gospel says there is hope in Jesus Christ. The gospel reminds you of why you are saved and how you to, the righteous man is to stand up again and continue to walk. 
This is the good news of the gospel. And there's another amazing thing about this whole gospel seed. When you became a Christian, sin ceased to be the dominant force in your life. It's reality. (laughs) When you became a Christian, Jesus, the blood of Jesus, severed the stronghold of sin in your life. As you allow the seed to grow, as you surrender to that every day, as you begin to grow with him, Jesus Christ turned away from your old way of thinking, and as you chose to turn away from the old way of thinking, your old way of behaving, God gave you a new power. He gave you the power to overcome sin. And when you become a Christian, this is our new life to live. So the question is for all of us, why do we still struggle with sin? Then, then why, Jason? Why do I struggle with the sins that I do every day or the sins that I do and I just can't seem? This is what I think it is. Because you, like me, you live in an old mindset, an old way of thinking. And we forget what God has done. We forget where we would be without him. We don't pause and think every day, Jesus, where would I be without you today? We lose sight of the gospel. And with our own strength, we try to overcome sin. With our own power, with our own intelligence, with our own understanding, instead of allowing God to do something in us and through us. It doesn't matter, man. You could, you could grab a hold of the couch and, and I'm going to will myself not to sin. You'll never do it. Without Christ, my friends... You're nothing. Well, Jason, that's not very nice. You're right. But it's true. Without the gospel of Jesus Christ, where would you be? The gospel is enough. And it is for you no matter where you are in your walk. Whether you've been walking with Jesus for 70 years or 7 minutes, the gospel is for you. We are to remember it every day. It's to be the center of our lives. That we wake up in the morning and we say, Jesus, thank you for giving me new life today. Thank you that I can live another day. Thank you that I can overcome sin. Thank you that you can do something amazing through my life. Not because of what I've done, but because of what you've done. And thirdly, and lastly is this, the gospel is enduring. This is so much more than a meeting today for you and I. So much more than a church service. This is where the seed, this is where the message of Jesus, this is where the gospel of Jesus Christ is sown. And the seed brings forth transformation, that lives are changed, the church would be growing, that people are fulfilling their purpose in Christ, and that the gospel is always touching people's lives. Seriously, my desire, my whole desire is that we would be a church that welcomes the broken. Because it's the proclamation of the gospel, the seed that Jesus was talking about in Luke 8. When it lands on their heart, their life is changed. And that same seed seed has been sown from the beginning of time. As I said earlier, the message of Jesus is one that actually just didn't start 
when Jesus came on the scene. It had existed from the beginning of creation. It's the theme of the word of God and will continue until his return. This whole message of the gospel is amazing. This whole, the passage in Revelations where it says the Lamb, or Jesus, the Lamb of God who was slain before the foundations of the earth means this. When God created the earth, he knew what it would cost him. It cost him his son. But it was his plan before the earth ever began. It was his plan before Adam ever fell. So when God inspired Moses to begin to write the first letter, the first ink mark on the paper, everything was about Jesus. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is our hope. Jesus is all that we need. And his gospel is enduring. We're going to have John and the worship team come out, and I'm going to close with reading you this. It's an article from the Gospel Project. It's this ministry that's phenomenal in communicating the gospel. And it begins just by looking at the Word of God and how Jesus is woven through all of it. And it begins with this. In 66 books, many different authors a holy canon, thousands of years in the making. Writings about history and law and poetry and prophecy. Words of wisdom, letters from friends. If you go to the beginning of the book, you see a fallen creation from the first son, Adam, who leads all of humanity astray. You later see a new Adam, Jesus Christ, who crushes the serpent's head and fulfills the promise. And the waters the flood, just as God used Noah to save his family from judgment, there comes a greater vessel by which God's children are saved. On an altar of desperation, Isaac is walking with his father Abraham to a sacrifice, and Isaac asks his father, where is the lamb we are to sacrifice? And just as Isaac asked his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice, later comes the answer from the wilderness from a man named John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus, he declared, behold, the lamb. In the Old Testament, just as Moses struck the rock for water, in the New Testament, there now is a rock whose living water, if you drink from it, satisfies forever. In a battle against Goliath where an unlikely king becomes a champion for his people, we see a shadow of a greater king who defeats sin and death to claim our victory. In a long exile of God's people, Isaiah's eyes are open to salvation and the eternal journey of God's people to the promised land until finally in a humble manger lay the hope of the world the king who reigns from a throne of straw and goes to Calvary's cross to a deathless tomb of eternal Easter. Every story cast his shadow. Every word, every verse bears his testimony. The holy Messiah, 
Jesus Christ, the eternal King. You see, the message of Jesus, it's enduring. It still is transforming lives today. The seed of the gospel, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're facing, will sustain you. It will carry you every day of your life. It began from the garden, and it's still producing life today in you, in me, in our lives, in our families, in our children, in your marriages, in your relationships. The gospel is what gives us hope today. It will sustain us for tomorrow. The gospel is about healing the brokenness, confronting us in our sin, comforting us in hard times, forgiving our mistakes, restoring our regrets. It allows us to forgive those who've hurt us and seek forgiveness from those that we've hurt. The gospel just doesn't change us in an instant, but it changes us all the days of our lives. It is enduring. It is everlasting. And by God's grace, we will be a place as a church that the gospel alters not just us, but welcomes all those who need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.